Welcome to the Fraud Fighter Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Nordlander, and I want to speak a little bit today about the controversy about the IRS whistleblower that you've probably been hearing or reading about in the news for the last couple of days. Let me just give you a little bit of background and color on the controversy. I thought it would be necessary to spend a few minutes to discuss kind of what's going on in the background. First of all, just to let you know, I don't have any personal information regarding uh, the players, nor the tax returns, nor any of that information. I don't know any tax information regarding all this. Uh, I spent over 20 years with IRS criminal investigations as a special agent conducting investigations and saw my fair share of things that, eh, frankly, I wouldn't have. But nothing was politicized in the IRS when I was working there. There's a couple of things here and there. I was like, eh, I really don't know if I'd like that. But, you know, the people that make decisions are the ones sitting in the seat, not me. I'm just a worker bee. And so just to let you know, I don't have any insider information. I can just read the tea leaves, what's going on, and reading the newspaper articles, assuming that what I'm reading and listening to is actually accurate regarding sources. Just want to give you a little color and commentary on the whole thing. The role of IRS and tax investigations. IRS has a criminal enforcement division called criminal investigations. They are the sworn law enforcement officers for tax crimes. They have sole authority on tax crimes. Nobody else does. So in many times when there is a high profile investigation, especially when there's taxes involved, particularly if there's taxes involved, IRS criminal investigations will be asked by the U.S. Attorney's Office, who are the federal prosecutors, to come on board to look at potential tax cases. And in this situation, it appears that the IRS it does have a role in the investigations that uh, this whistleblower is talking about. In this situation, IRS criminal investigations was on a tax grand jury investigation. Now, just to let you know, there are a couple of rules that the IRS has to abide by. Uh, one of them is called, called Title 26, United States Code 6103. That code, it's, it's actually a federal statute by Congress, states that all information given to the IRS is secret, and the IRS cannot disclose it to anybody for any purpose except under these circumstances. And there's a list of circumstances. One of them is to the taxpayer. If you are a taxpayer and you want money, information from the IRS, you can go get it. It's no big deal. If you have an attorney or a CPA or an enrolled agent who is doing this on your behalf, it's in the statute that you can actually get the information. Uh, you're a member of the news media. You're a nosy neighbor. You want information. The IRS cannot give it to you. It's to the point where the IRS does not disclose anything for any reasons. Uh, just to let you know, there are a couple occasions where they are allowed to disclose it to Congress the House and Ways and Means Committee. If you remember the, the Trump tax returns and how the Congress want to get Trump's tax returns and Trump was saying no and Congress is saying yes, well, it's in the statute that they do have authority to get some tax returns. Now, that was a debate regarding if it's proper or not, and it's, that's up to the attorneys. But the point being is that the IRS just does not and cannot turn over this information to anybody for any reason. And they take that secrecy seriously. They really do. As a matter of fact, it, when a taxpayer files a tax return with the IRS, especially if it's original return, when I say the one that's got wet ink on it, 
that is kept actually in a filing cabinet at the IRS office. I literally had to sign those things in and out, tax returns, in order to do interviews regarding them. So, uh, And someone was in charge of the inventory of those tax returns. In addition, it gets to the point where if I was investigating an individual and received public information, like going out to the local courthouse and figure out who owns what property, I could put that in the file. If I have another investigator that says, can you share with me what you found at the courthouse? I would have to say, no, I cannot, even though it was not tax information, but I got it on but during a tax investigation. So anything that I received under tax under a tax investigation was also considered secret. Couldn't turn it over. But you can turn over information to federal law enforcement officers under certain circumstances. But all that's established in Title 26, United States Section 6103. So by default, the IRS cannot turn over any information for any reason except uh, under certain rules. Well, this whistleblower evidently is asking Congress for a way to disclose some of that information uh, because this whistleblower cannot do it under the certain rules, which makes it kind of interesting. I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't have an opinion on the matter. All I know is just is what's going on. For an IRS agent to go outside the agency and outside Department of Justice and believe that it's so bad that it warrants going to U.S. Congress, at least in the industry, in the work that I'm that I did with IRS criminal investigations, that is a huge step. That is a very big step. That is, frankly, uncharted territory. And there's a second thing also that IRS has to deal with, and that's called Rule 6E, which is the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure. 6E rule means that you cannot disclose what goes what goes on in the grand jury. So if there is a grand jury investigation, an investigator, an attorney in a grand jury cannot just walk around and discuss these things out in the open. It can only be in certain circumstances. Well, once again, it's another rule that investigators have to have to live by. So this whistleblower, frankly, has two things to deal with. One is 6E, secrecy, as well as disclosure of tax returns. So that's going to be kind of interesting. So the bottom line is, is that what does a supervisory special agent do? Who are these people? Well, if you think about the military, you have the privates and the corporals, and then you have sergeants, and then you have sergeants, and then you have above them would be the lieutenants and captains. Well, the supervisory special agent, it's like a sergeant. He or she, and we'll use he as a it seems like this is a he, uh, would be in charge of, let's say, 8 to 10, maybe 12 special agents that actually what I call the worker bees. They go out they go out there and do the cases. They do the investigations. They do the interviews. They now analyze the books and records. And his job as a supervisor is to ensure that all the cases are moving along like they should. He's also a liaison to upper management that makes policy. A supervisory special agent, or SSA for short, we'll call them SSA throughout the podcast here, is not a policymaker. They just are individuals that are the go-betweens between, frankly, the worker bees and management. It's not a very glorious job, to be honest with you, because you get garbage from the bottom coming up and the garbage coming from the top going down. 
Uh, it's rarely do you make everybody happy just because it's just a tough job to be in. That being said, the SSA would be in the know of anything if it's related to the case because they are in charge of ensuring the case is moving forward. They review the agent's work files. They also go and have the agent talk to them and give an update of the cases. They are in it, in the middle of it. If there is an issue regarding the U.S. Attorney's Office and the agent, and things are just not moving forward or there's some complaint or something else is going on, they are the ones that are supposed to solve it. That's what their job is. Uh, so a supervisory special agent will have access to all the files, will have access to all the communications. They are what do you consider the sergeants. They're the t- between management making policy and the worker bees. So just to give you a little idea of what that position is like. I also need to review for you the procedures regarding an IRS special agent. When an IRS special agent is out there doing the interviews, analyzing books and records, uh, creating spreadsheets, file reports, and then re- create a report of their findings. It's just not something that just cut out of whole cl- its own cloth. It's not what happens. The IRS special agent, when they go out there and get all the facts and all the evidence, they put it in a report, and there's a load of reviewers in this case. For example... The SSA would look review it. You'd have uh, someone called CCR, which is Centralized Case Review, which is like quality control would review it. Then you have the IRS attorney. IRS has its own attorneys. They will review it. And then you also have your management is probably going to review the case, which is five. Then you got the DOJ tax division. Every tax case has to go through DOJ tax division for their approval. It is mandated in the statute. So all cases go to DOJ tax for their approval. And there's probably one attorney, maybe two, reviewing that report. And believe me, if it's a big to-do, a national figure, there's going to be a lot of people reviewing this. So now i got up to seven people. Then you got the U.S. Attorney's Office, who was okay, actually, with the charges, because they're the ones that actually say, yes, go ahead and go forward. We think there's enough evidence. The agent puts it all together. It goes up to DOJ tax, goes down to the U.S. Attorney's Office, and the U.S. Attorney's Office finally gets the final approval for the for any type of a tax indictment. That's how it works. So you're talking about at least eight people have reviewed a report and determined that this report was good enough for, to prosecute. Now, are all pros, you know reports perfect? No. There's always this uh, situation here or there that the agent or the report just does not work out in, in trial. IRS loses, but IRS has over a 90% uh, conviction rate. So it's just about a slam dunk that once it gets through this process of at least seven or eight people looking at this thing, it is a very good product. That being said, this case, according to uh, the news reports, started in 2018. This thing's been around for quite a while. On average, it takes about two or three years for an investigation to start and to end and go and be ready for indictment. Well, in this situation, the whistleblower is saying, listen, this thing's whole thing has been, has been stymied from, from the get-go, and there's something going on. Well, I don't know when it began. Uh, like I said, I don't know anything about the case other than what I'm reading. However, news reports say that it's beginning in 2018. If it's already been through DOJ tax, which according to the newspaper reports it has been, 
uh, since last year. That'd be average. 2018, 2021 to 2022, uh, it's about right. So it's kind of ripe for, frankly, for indictment, unless something else is really going on that's kind of stymied, uh, stopping it. That being said, uh, New York Times also said that the tax bill's been paid. So just to let you know, when an individual is under criminal investigation and pays the taxes, that is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's still a viable case. A tax evader uh, cannot go out there and commit tax evasion and then once they get caught and say, oh, by the way, here's the bill, I paid it, and then not be prosecuted. Now, the judge can do whatever they want to do with it. Uh, the federal judges have uh, complete authority whether not to let someone go on probation or to give them the max sentence. They have all that authority to do so. But anyways, the point being is New York Times says that the tax bill was paid. So the newspaper articles also state that there's a couple of charges on the table. So one thing I want to mention is it's called two counts of failure to file. Well, failure to file is a misdemeanor, which means it's up to a year that someone can get for failure to file a tax return. It's not that big of a deal. For the most part, failure to file is not what IRS criminal investigation investigates. It is like a lesser charge. They're really interested in felonies. Misdemeanors they'll do. Uh, there's a couple of nationwide cases that I can think of. There are misdemeanors, failure to files. Failure to file just means that you should have filed and you didn't. It's pretty simple. Venue, which is where the case would be prosecuted at, is where the person was living at the time of the failure to file. If you live in San Francisco and you didn't file tax returns for many years, well, your jury appears is going to be in San Francisco. And it's not going to be in New York. One count supposedly tax evasion. Now, tax evasion can be one overarching count, but many bad actions to commit tax evasion. For example, you can have one count of tax evasion, but have that count of tax evasion, there may be 10 instances of the bad behavior, what we call overt acts, like lying to investigators or putting money into a nominee name or uh, lying to IRS, not turning over things to, to the return preparer, lying to the return preparer. There's a lot of things that, that can be done on tax evasion. Failure to file can be tax evasion if there's a hiding of assets or income. In this situation, if there's any particularly foreign income, uh, if someone does not report what they're supposed to report, that could also be tax evasion. If you file a tax return and it doesn't show the prop the proper forms to report the either the income or the foreign assets held, was it a bank account or stock, that type of thing. The bottom line, that's that's kind of where it's where it's at. Now, gun charges, that's just not my wheelhouse. So I don't know what to say about that part. Here's the situation you got. The whistleblower. Before an IRS special agent to be a whistleblower takes, it's outside the box. Let me just put it that way. There has to be some credible evidence stating that the Department of Justice is not moving like it's supposed to. I'm of the opinion that most everything has common sense to it. If I have a misunderstanding with a federal prosecutor, they may have a point of view. I have a point of view. Sometimes uh, wires get crossed because of misunderstandings. In any relationship, working relationship, there are competing priorities in marriages, in uh, relationships with children, 
relationship with a spouse, relationship with the government. There's always going to be something that uh, there's going to be wires crossed. So I give people the benefit of the doubt, especially if they're not moving at the, at the pace that I'd like them to move or doing what they're going to do. You, any investigator knows there's, there's more, multiple sides to a story. And so for someone to supposedly, according to the sources of the newspaper, to complain to their management about the movement or lack of movement of things, to go to internal affairs, uh, to go to DOJ, I think it was Office of Inspection General, their internal affairs, and not see any movement whatsoever, and then decide to go to Congress, and then in Congress using a public letter, that is, I don't have to say about that other than, you better come with the goods. Let me put it that way. And supposedly, according to newspaper articles, it's coming with the goods. So when I say the goods, emails and that type of thing, and and documents and all sorts of types of stuff out there, which is interesting because in my experience with the Department of Justice, they do not like any bad comments being made in email. If you have, as an investigator, have a problem with a case, they do not want an email because it can be discoverable to the uh, to the other side. If you're going to have if you're going to have a dispute about something, you have a conversation face-to-face with the prosecutor. You do not put it in an email because if you do, it can be considered discoverable, which almost every Department of Justice attorney has said, listen, if you think there's there's a, you think there's maybe something wrong with the case, and it could be on the front end. There may be a potential problem on the front end of a case that may, your concerns may be valid and you can overcome them. And then at the end of the day, the case is going to be fine because you can overcome the problems. It happens in every case. They just don't want that stuff in, in writing, which it is what it is. Without a doubt, the supervisor is going to have to come with the goods, frankly. So this is not an IRS issue. This is the Department of Justice issue. Evidently, the Department of Justice and FBI, I mean, the IRS and the FBI have done their work. It's just for some reason, the people that are, in authority to make these determinations of what to indict and when to indict is not moving at the speed that the whistleblower thinks is necessary. And the excuses or the uh, reasons for not doing so is just not uh, palatable for this agent. I, I'm just very surprised. But, you know, uh, we'll see what happens here. The whistleblower's attorney? Something else that I see is kind of kind of interesting. The whistleblower's attorney. I don't know this person individual uh, personally, but I did look at the uh, the bio. Doesn't surprise me that the whistleblower's attorney has a Department of Justice background. And the reason why I say that is because as an agent, if I'm sitting there as a supervisor and not liking what management's doing, what Department of Justice is doing. There's no one really to complain to. There's no one to confide to because you know, as an agent, you can't go to your friend or you can't go to any attorney and say, I got a problem here because you could be in violation of multiple rules. What I just talked about recently. So it has to be someone. And my guess is it has to be someone that this special agent knows personally and has worked with personally because there's no way you would go to any you don't pick up the phone book and start dialing numbers and start making these type of uh, requests. 
It just doesn't happen. You really have to have to trust someone. Number one. Number two is in the Department of Justice up in D.C., any attorney you deal with uh, going way up on that level always has, um, let's just say, sharp elbows, uh, depending on the politics. Uh, everybody's always gunning for the new position and something bigger and better and being more important. And you just can't just take uh, these allegations and give it to someone who you don't 100% trust that's going to have your best intentions. Let's put it that way. Because your career potentially is on the line as a special agent, number one, for sure. Number two is, as well as you have criminal and civil penalties potentially for disclosing information that's unlawful. And with a Justice Department that doesn't like to be embarrassed with this being potentially uh, an issue of the... um, of a relative of high-ranking officials, then you better come with the goods is all I can say. Now, the possible reasons for delay, I don't know why things are being delayed. I can only speculate. One of them could be venue. Maybe there's a venue in one state and venue in another state for a different charge. I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that can be solved. Department of Justice also has a policy and about meddling in elections especially with grand jury indictments and arrests. I've seen this firsthand on political figures where Department of Justice will not do anything within a month or two before the election starts just because they don't want to be perceived as uh, tainting an election, which is kind of in- interesting when you got the goods on a, on a elected official and they get reelected and all of a sudden you indict them. Uh, it makes you wonder why they didn't do it beforehand, but that's just their policy. And that's the way it goes. So anyways, according to the news as well, the IRS agents allegations are primarily primarily focused on improper politicization of the case at the Department of Justice level and FBI level. Uh, We shall see what happens. I don't know. I will know for sure that if there is anything going on in Congress and there's here's hearings, I am for sure going to turn that thing on because I want to I want to hear about this type of stuff, what's going on. So just to let you know my little thoughts about the whistleblower, we shall see. It's uncharted territory. And when I see a special agent really putting their career, their livelihood, potential criminal and civil penalties on the line because they don't like a case moving as quickly or they think it's being politicized, that takes some guts. That really does. And... We will see whether or not the facts that come out warrant that type of whistleblowing. Stay tuned. We'll see. Starting uh, about another week or two, we will have more podcasts coming. But I thought it'd be just interesting to give you a little bit of heads up regarding the IRS whistleblower and a little bit of background, a little bit of color, and hope you understand the gravity of that situation if for a f- IRS special agent and what they are doing. Like I said, I don't have any opinion on the matter, per se. Uh, I do know people in management, former management. I have a lot of trust in a lot of things that happen. And sometimes I scratch my head and wonder why things happen a certain way. But you know what? I'm not in their shoes. I was just a worker bee. And I had to deal with whatever was done or not done. So that's how it happens. Well, that was it, guys. I hope you have a good one. Stay safe out there.